All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to have Mark Thomas on the show, who is the co-founder and CEO of Zen Sports. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Matt. Excited to be here. I am very excited. One of the biggest reasons is because you are the first launch, you're the first launch like accelerator f- member that has been on the podcast ever. And I went through a launch accelerator or we went through launch like the, earlier this year and you're on launch and now we're on the podcast and we didn't even realize that until like right, right until we hopped on. So that's cool. So thanks for coming on. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we're excited. We just started a, a few weeks ago. Uh, for class 16 um, and it's been going really well and yeah, happy and excited to meet a fellow launching. Yeah, I'm sure we'll go into that a little bit later in the show, but, but for now, let's dive into what you're building. So Zen Sports, I think that's a great name, uh, but for those who don't know what the product does or what your company does, can you, can you give us an idea of what Zen Sports is? Yeah, absolutely. So Zen Sports is a peer-to-peer mobile sports betting app. Um, that basically is eliminating the need for a centralized bookmaker. Um, So to take a quick step back and talk about what kind of exists in the world today, if you want to bet on sports, you generally have to go through what's called a bookmaker, where um, you go to a a middleman, essentially, who is aggregating bets from everyone in their network, uh, or in the case of a professional business like uh, sports books and casinos in Las Vegas, they have customers walk in uh, that place bets. And what they do is they basically are kind of uh, money pushers. Um, so they take in bets from different sides. So someone would bet on one side of um, uh, the Green Bay Packers uh, playing the Vikings and another person would bet on the, the Vikings. And their job is just to equalize and balance out their books so that they have 50% of the money on one side and 50% on the other. And for the privilege of the service, they charge on average around 10% of the bets uh, of the betting volume that comes in. And it's just this huge be unnecessary middlemen that just don't really provide any value. Uh, and and what's what actually kind of worse about it is they only make money when you lose. So it's <laughs> just like really uh, butting of heads, conflict of interest that exists um, that just isn't good. So what we've done is say, hey, cut out the middleman, use technology to replace the middleman, and we've developed a mobile marketplace that automatically matches up two sides of a bet together. Um, and we do it at a fraction of the cost, anywhere from a fourth to a third of what a traditional bookmaker charges. And it's, it's mobile, it's right from your phone, it's social, it's fun, and we use cryptocurrencies to gamify the entire experience and have this really cool loyalty and rewards program around it. So, um, yeah, so that's in a nutshell what we do. Okay, so there's a lot to dive in here, a lot of exciting things. So let's go kind of through the flow. If I... Let's actually use an example from last night. Last night, I was at a a bar in town watching the Suns-Lakers game. The Suns are good this year, which is great. And the Lakers are also good, which I think is is good for the NBA. I'm a Bucs fan, just so you know. One more time? I'm a Bucs fan, just so you know. Ah, okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I was watching this game. And let's say I was really, really, really confident that the Suns were going to win, although they didn't. Let's say, let's say I was confident that they were. How would I use Zen Sports to engage with someone who maybe felt that the outcome would be different? Uh, can you kind of walk through the flow for me? 
Right. So our product is very similar to like a trading marketplace, such as like Robinhood uh, for stocks or Binance for cryptocurrencies, in that you can either be the maker or the taker of a bet, which means you can either be the maker and create your own bet with your own odds and your own terms for others to accept, or you can be the taker and accept someone else's bet. So the way it works is kind of, again, similar to a trading marketplace where you come in and if you see what you like um, in terms of bets being offered by other makers, you probably just accept one of those and, and boom, you're done. However, if you don't see what you like or you have a very specific kind of bet that you wanna create that you don't see already in the marketplace, you can create your own bet with your own odds and your own terms and wait for somebody else to accept it. And there's, a, there's advantages and disadvantages to each. Um, uh, I mean, just kind of going into a couple of them. So we charge lower fees to the maker because they're providing liquidity to the marketplace and we charge higher fees to the taker because they're removing it, uh, removing liquidity from the marketplace. But again, very similar to the trading platform, if you're a maker, you know that you're going to get your own odds and terms based on the bet you create, but there's a possibility it might not get filled. And then conversely, on the taker side, you're accepting someone else's odds and terms, but you're guaranteed that it gets filled. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both, and it really comes down to personal preference and what you want for that particular bet. Yeah, that makes sense. And let's talk about, you know, you mentioned the magic word cryptocurrencies. And I know that, in, you know, in 2017, when I heard the word cryptocurrency, I just saw money just like flashing in my eyes in late 2017, like trading and taking out and, and you know, putting money on lows, taking out on highs, all that good stuff, speculation. But what you're talking about here is not speculation. You're talking about using cryptocurrency as a, function for a product. Can you talk about how you implement cryptocurrency into this and why you decided to go with cryptocurrency versus just the, the US dollar or another currency? Right. So this is actually the piece I'm most excited about because we've actually found a real world use case for cryptocurrencies. As you just mentioned, up to this point, cryptocurrencies has basically been synonymous with speculation, um, You know, just going out and trading Bitcoin or other altcoins um, without any real utility value. So here's what we did. We created our own utility token called Sports uh, back in July and implemented that into our network within our betting platform that people can actually use to place bets with. So you can actually place bets using our sports token. Um, you can also earn <clears throat> loyalty and rewards tokens as well for performing certain actions like um, discounted betting fees, uh, cash back based on your betting volume, et cetera. So we built this really cool loyalty and rewards program around our token and you can bet in our token. So there's this bona fide real use case for it. Um, and we do also offer the ability to bet in dollars or bet in Bitcoin. But because of the fact that we built this really cool loyalty and rewards program around our sports token, since we launched our sports token in July, almost 100% of all the bets in our app have taken place using our token. So when I say I'm so you know, super excited about this. It's not just because we created it and it's there if somebody wants to use it. People are actually using it to bet on sports, even when they have the choice to bet in dollars. So we're giving them the choice and they're saying, no, we want to bet in sports, which that for me is like the pinnacle of, you know, um, you know, how can we start making cryptocurrencies, you know, gain mass adoption? It's by giving them a real world application for it and then seeing people actually use and adopt it. So I think that part is just, I can't say enough how excited we are about that. So 
So I definitely want to dive into that. Um, there might have been a couple of things that I that I don't fully understand yet. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in. So what I know about you know some cryptocurrencies and even the the U.S. dollar is that the U.S. dollar what makes it valuable. If I'm holding the dollar in my hand, it's valuable because someone else also thinks it's valuable, and because we agree on its value, we can, we can we can use it to exchange goods and services. And the the problem that up until maybe now that, that most cryptocurrencies have had is that there haven't been enough people that agreed on the value of these cryptocurrencies where you couldn't engage in a transaction other than speculation. Obviously, and I'm not, I'm not like educating you, you already know this, but like just for people that, that are listening. So I'm kind of curious, why, are, why do you think people are using your token? And is, what is your... I don't know if this is the, the vocabulary, but what is like your vision for the token to get it out into the real world to get like mass adoption where people could be like trading token for goods, like sport jerseys? Like, do you have a vision for that or how does all of that work? Great question. Uh, yes, I do. So a uh, couple things. First of all, uh, our utility token is traded on an exchange right now. Uh, it's called Dcoin. Uh, they're a top 40 uh, exchange by betting volume uh, per coin market cap. Um, so you can actually get liquidity for the token if you want. So there's that piece of it right off the bat. So if you are like, hey, this has been great. I've been betting in these tokens. I've been winning in these tokens and also earning uh, tokens as bonuses for you know doing certain things within the app. Um, now I want to quote unquote cash out. You can do so. Or you, know, you can just be like, hey, I'm just going to continue to accumulate them for the second piece of the question that you have, which is other utility value. So we've started off with, hey, there's true utility value with the token in our app by betting with it because other people will do what you just said, which is um, recognize that there's value in it and accept bets in those tokens. So there's utility value clearly within our app that you can create bets and accept bets using the token. Um, so based on what you just said, you know, will somebody else find a value to it? Yes, the answer is yes. But we of course wanna go beyond just offering it as utility value within our app. We believe there's utility value way beyond just our back, or this is at least, you know, kind of what, um, you know, my vision for this is, is I want this token to become a, you know, renowned currency within the sports and entertainment space. So if you think about kind of the life cycle of, you know, the sports fan and, and those that um, love sports, um, you could picture or envision a scenario like where you go on NFL.com to buy your player's favorite jersey in our sports token. You then go on, StubHub or Ticketmaster to buy tickets to the game using our sports token. When you get to the game, you use our token to buy a hot dog and beer while you're watching it. Then of course, since our product is mobile, um, you can bet on the game while watching the game at the game. And then um, you can use it for other things too. Like if you go to uh, like a bar um, and you want to get you know uh, uh, food and drinks and stuff like that. Um, so we really envision a full life cycle payment ecosystem for our token. Now that is definitely gonna require some time, it's not gonna happen overnight, but we feel we're off to a really good start by having created the utility value just within our product uh, to start with. And then we want to expand um, and you know, sign partnerships with you know, professional sports leagues, sports teams, et cetera, to then have this value uh, translate into other um, you know, channels within the ecosystem as well. So this sounds pretty genius, and I'm looking forward to seeing it all play out. I, I'm interested to hear a little bit of your background um, in, in the realm of cryptocurrency. Like, have you always been an early adopter with this stuff, or, or how did you get into cryptocurrency and blockchain? And when did you realize that you could actually 
build something on blockchain if, with and build create your own cryptocurrency uh, for this for this uh, business. No, so I was a total late arriver uh, to the cryptocurrency blockchain party. Uh, I got swept up in the uh, kind of rise of Bitcoin in late 2017. Um, I, I just have a I have a finance background, so I've always enjoyed you know uh, you know finance investments, uh, etc. And so then I started to um, in late 2017 I started to learn how to day and swing trade cryptocurrencies, and so I got very heavily involved for the next six months from say December 2017 to May 2018 in trading crypto. Uh, so the whole speculation piece that you brought up earlier, um, that was me. And, and then I started to take a step back and look at this and say, wait a minute, this is, this, the, the concept of decentralization, the concept of blockchain, the concept of no middleman, uh, fiat-based financial institution telling people what they can and cannot do with their money. There are so many great applications for this um, that are not being taken advantage of because right now it's just being speculated on. And so, you know, we were actually a different product at this time about a year and a half ago. Back in May 2018, we were, excuse me, we were a recreational sports app helping connect people to meet up to play sports. And the Supreme Court in May 2018 here in the U.S., they basically said uh, they overturned the federal ban on sports betting and told states they can begin legalizing it. And that, coupled with how excited I was about crypto over the past six months, coupled with, um, you know, just the product that we had built up to that point, said, hey, we have a real opportunity here. We can pivot what we're doing now where people are using our app to like meet up to play tennis and bowling and stuff, turn it into sports betting, use cryptocurrencies to entirely streamline the process, get around all of the issues that exist with like traditional banks declining credit card transactions to betting sites, et cetera, and create a whole new model um, and a first world use case for cryptocurrencies. And I actually think getting into crypto late helped me because so many early adopters in crypto and blockchain um, geeked out and nerded out on the technology piece and never really tried to solve a real world use case for consumers using crypto. And so with me coming into it late, I kind of, I, I want to say I had a little bit of a different perspective on it and said, wait a minute, this stuff should be for using in real life. And so because of that, I think like we've really been heads down focused on building a real world use case and a real product that people can actually use in their daily lives versus just trading it on Binance or some other, you know, um, exchange. So I think, uh, so even though I was late to the party, I actually think it helped us in a lot of ways and has really shaped our vision for, for what we're doing. I read somewhere that you never want to be the first to move. Oh, it's actually, in, it, this is from Peter Thiel. You never want to be the first mover. You want to be the last mover. You want to get into an industry and dominate it so there can be no other movers. Yeah, exactly. And I, I really do believe that, I mean, if you look at, I mean, there are a few exceptions, of course, but if you look at just, you know, the history of companies that have become, you know, the, the not just unicorns, but, um, you know, the most valued companies in history, um, Google, they weren't the first search engine. Facebook, they weren't the first social network. Yep. Um, even Apple, they weren't really the first, you know, um, you know, computer, right? And so I, I really do believe there's something to be said for those that, spend time looking at the market for a little bit, seeing the mistakes that the predecessors made, and then swooping in and being able to jump on the opportunity, um, you know, based on those learnings. So I 100% agree with you there. Definitely. Uh, well, we're gonna, we're gonna shift the direction a little bit, and this might get interesting. So I wanna talk about 
Well, actually, I'll give a little context uh, for people listening about Launch. So Launch is an accelerator that, that I went through, you know, and, and a lot of people have gone through. And the person that you might have heard of who's behind Launch is, or one of the people behind Launch, uh, the founder of Launch is Jason Calacanis. And I am, I'm very curious to hear how you got Jason interested in this when publicly on Twitter, uh, he used to be very, and he might still be very anti cryptocurrency. And I just can't, I can't even picture what it's like in that room when you pitched him. Can you tell me how you convinced Jason to be interested in this to, to invest uh, through the accelerator? Um, what, what was the angle that, that, uh, that you got him with? Great question. So um, I went to office hours um, that he broadcasted in August. I was one of 10 or 12 companies that he brought in for office hours. Um, and so uh, he first, you know, he saw the little synopsis of what we're doing uh, and he started diving in. And uh, when he, when we got to the part about cryptocurrencies um, and this is out there, you know, on social media, so you can go check it out. Um, he's like, you know, I have to say, this is like one of those examples that, I would not file under uh, cryptocurrencygiftshit.com. He's like, I actually think this is one of the first use cases of cryptocurrency and is not just some you know, bullshit pulled out of thin air that has no real value at all. So I think, I mean, certainly me being present there in front of them and having a one-on-one -on -one session to talk about our business um, certainly helped uh, in terms of getting into the accelerator. Um, but then I also think he kind of realized like this, like, cause he's big into betting. He loves, he's a big poker player. Um, and, and so I think he looks and sees that this is like one of the first best use cases for it. So, um, I agree with you that I think in general, he, he shies away from it, but this, um, you know, struck a chord with him. And then, you know, uh, after doing office hours, you know, just kind of following up, uh, one of our early angel investors, uh, as part of the syndicate uh, that he has, um, and just kind of, you know, just kind of reinforcing this over a three, four week period. Uh, and then applying, and, you know, just being aggressive, you know, like you have to be when you're trying to go after top investors uh, to be part of your company, um, you know, just staying aggressive over those next few weeks um, and then formally going through the application process and then getting accepted. Um, I think the whole process from beginning to end from office hours to acceptance was about, about a month. Um, but so it really started with that though. And I think that's important. You've got to get that face time um, and have that chance to explain what you're doing so that people can understand your vision and understand the passion and understand the the application of it. It really is important. I'm glad you brought that up um, because I think a lot of people think that they can they can get an investor's interest from kind of just just emailing and just being persistent. But you got to get on their radar. Um, you got to like get in their face and and become a person in, in their head and someone they think about, and then maybe they'll invest. So I appreciate you sharing that. Mm -hmm. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit to to kind of something more general more broad you're a founder of a of a pretty forward thinking company in that you're, you're actually using cryptocurrency as something that is that can be used within a product not just for speculation which is incredible so i'm sure you're spending a lot of time just thinking about about your company but um, do you spend any time thinking about any anything else, whether it be problems in the world or cool other startups or ways to get in with investors or or or, or just other trends when you're not thinking uh, when you're not thinking about what you're working on? And if so, like I'd love to hear a little bit about what goes inside of your brain if you're open to sharing. 
Sure, absolutely. So yeah, I, I kind of compartmentalize um, uh, what you're asking about into like four different areas. One in my day-to-day -day life. Uh, one is the day-to-day -day operations of Zen Sports, which is okay, like what you know specific you know marketing campaign are we doing or what task are we doing this sprint or whatever like that. Um, that's one thing. The second is kind of on a longer term vision of Zen Sports and making sure we you know, always have an eye towards that, which goes back to the kind of gaming ecosystem across the sports space um, and, and entertainment space. And then, and then what you're specifically asking is I think the last two buckets, which is what really kind of intrigues me about other things in the rest of the world. And then maybe how do I spend my free time um, is the third and fourth bucket. So the third bucket, um, I'd say there's one really big passion of mine that um, I'm not really, I don't have time for in terms of like being able to do a company and I, I would never do more than one company at a time anyways, because it's more than a full-time job in and of itself. But um, life extension for me is, is something that's definitely a passion of mine. Um, and so, um, I mean, I can run with this in a lot of different directions, but I'll start with the fact that, for example, I'm a cryonics member, um, which means um, uh, instead of being buried or cremated when I pass away, I will be uh, what's called vitrified or frozen. Um, with the hope of reanimating me at some other point in time. So I became a member of Alcor, which is actually based in Scottsdale. Um, and uh, so about a year, or January 2018, I, did, I became a member. So, um, so I you know, signed up the paperwork. It's a pretty lengthy process to get, to get you know, signed up and be a member. Um, and I, I just am so passionate about the fact that um, it's absolutely ridiculous that we just accept death as it has, it has to happen. Um, so deterioration of quality of life towards the end does not have to happen. Death does not have to happen. The technology is actually really, really close uh, on the life extension side to both extend those that are alive today um, well beyond what the current max limit, which is around 120 years, as well as what I mentioned a minute ago, which is reanimating those that have been um, cryonically preserved. Um, which one comes first, a uh, little bit, you know, could be up in the air, but, but both for sure, uh, 100% in my mind are going to happen this century. Um, and, and the way that looks is as follows. So if you talk about life extension, if, if the, you know, average lifespan is increasing and increasing, what's going to happen is not necessarily, boom, they give you a pill and now you're going to live to 500, something like that. What's going to happen is that they're going to be able to, you know, let's say you hit 60, um, you know, that's. I'm 41 right now, so it's 19 years. I hit 60 and the technology is there to wind the clock back like another 15 or 20 years back to when I was 40. Okay, great. And by the time, so I'm biologically, uh, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm technically 60, but I'm biologically like 40, right? Um, and then that will happen again when I get to be 80. They can wind it back another you know, 20 or 30 years. And before you know it, you'll be 200 years old, but you'll look and feel like a 40 year old. Um, and so I think that's just, it's exciting. And the technology is not that far away. And then, of course, the reanimating of those that have already passed, um, but are chronically preserved, bringing them back. So I, I'm, I'm just super passionate about that area. And in terms of what I can do about it, I mean, I've done the, the cryopreservation for myself. I'm trying to spread the word to others about it as much as I can, like to family members and friends. Um, I think I'm on the verge of convincing a couple of family members, but we'll see. Um, and then, you know, I haven't attended any conferences. I just don't have time for that right now. But that's something I'd like to do maybe couple times a year. I do want to visit the Alcor facility in Scottsdale. I haven't had a chance to do that. So there are things that I can do, even though I don't have time to like build a company around that. Um, just very passionate about that. And then the fourth bucket, which is how do I spend my free time is it's hard right now, 
Um, but I do like to go out, you know, with friends for drinks and stuff like that. And of course, I'm a big, big sports fan. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. I want to dial in uh, to the, the third one on being longer and uh, uh, that kind of stuff. So let's say you were 200 right now, but you actually biologically or, or whatever the word is you use, you're actually 40, like, like you're equivalent to 40 in 2019. What would you do with the extra hundred years or 200 years if you were, if human species were able to figure that out? Um, what would you do with the extra time? Well, okay. If, it, if it's exactly, if, if the world is exactly how we see it right now uh, in terms of, you know, going to work, uh, you know, having time off, taking vacations, just, you know, the, the typical world that we live in right now. Um, then I think what's, what, what, what people would do, to be honest, is instead of working for 30, 40 years and then retiring, they would instead work for five to 10, take a sabbatical for two to three years, two to four years, and then work again for five to 10 and then just rinse, repeat that. Since you know, you're, you're going to have a, a long retirement per se, you're not going to just work for 30, 40 years and then call it a day. And I mean, cause you're going to possibly live another 100, 200, 300 years, right? So instead, what you would do is the on again, off again thing, um, where you work for five, ten years, uh, you know, hustle, you know, you know, stay energized, um, work your brain, work your body, all that kind of stuff, and then probably take some time off. So I think the the way we would do things and approach uh, like work and and retirement would change. Um, if, however, we also really up our game from an AI perspective and a um, you know like neurotron like you know, like what Elon Musk is, is, is working on, um, where, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's just less work to do in general. Um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's very interesting what would happen then. You know, maybe we would, instead of like working all day, maybe we would do things like write, or maybe we would do things like volunteer if, um, if work and or money became less of a scarce resource. Um, so anyway, so, I think it's, I think there's a lot of different answers um, based on like how the world shapes. But the bottom line is, is why degenerate our bodies if we don't need to? There's no point. Life is too, you know, fun and precious for that. Um, and if the technology is there, which is starting to become there, there's no reason for us to just accept our fate and just like, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to die when I'm 85 and I'm going to, the last 10 years is going to suck. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, anything is better than that. That's awesome. I, I love the way that you think about that. So I have, I have two more questions for you. Uh, my second to last question is, is going back to launch. Uh, I'm kind of curious. Um, I mean, I remember when I, when I, when, when Publoft got accepted into launch and Jeremy and I drove up there, it's this, this world of unknown. And I had no idea what to expect over the next 12 weeks. And oh my gosh, I, a lot of things happened that I didn't expect to happen. Uh, but they happen, you know, and, and that's the beauty of an accelerator. It accelerates what's supposed to happen. Um, I have a question for you. What are you most excited about or wonder or curious about? Or kind of when it comes to launch, I'm curious, like looking forward to the next 10 weeks. What are you thinking about it? What's on your mind? And I'm just kind of curious to see hear kind of your mindset going into this very powerful and awesome accelerator. Right. So, um, so a couple of things. One is, um, I love the fact that they, they're almost their entire focus, 
almost their entire focus, not the entire focus, but almost the entire focus is on helping companies raise funding. Now I've raised funding many times before in my history, but in fact, we just closed some money right now, but I think you can never get enough help in that area. I think you can never get enough introductions. Fundraising is all a numbers game and, the, and, and literally every single week of the accelerator is a pitch event. So instead of doing all this other nonsense in the middle for 10, 12 weeks and then having one big demo day at the end, literally every single week is a demo day. And I think in front of investors, actual investors that you know, are able to invest. And so I, I think that piece is just, I don't know, it's just like white elephant in a room among in startup land. Like, you know, everyone will just automatically be able to raise money that's successful or that's doing well. And this is not the case. It's, um, I mean, I have a database of like over 1800 investors in my network. And I'm sure I'm still only in, in like literally in an Excel spreadsheet, I have 1800 investors that I send email updates to. But I probably only tapped the surface of maybe 10 or 15% of them that I could. And so I just think that having that constant um, exposure to investors every single week is, is just the right approach uh, for them. And so we did just close another 675,000. Um, the company has raised over its last three years to date 1.78 million. Um, but we decided that, hey, even though we just closed 675K, um, if we're going to get access to these great investors as part of this program, why not take in more money? I mean, I, I feel like you can never have enough money. And as long as the terms make sense and as long as it's, as long as it's easy, and in this case, I think it is when they're basically just force feeding you or spoon feeding you investors uh, every single week, it's not like you have to like go bang on doors uh, to, to, to pitch folks. Why not do it, right? So we're going to, we actually did just do that. And, and, and so um, it makes just perfect sense. And then of course they have all the other aspects of, you know, growth hacking. And uh, I think again, you can never learn enough. And just also being able to hear Jason talk every single week for a couple of hours, you know, in person, like literally sitting right next to me and asking questions um, and having him give answers is, is special. Like you don't get that. So, um, so it, it, so far so good. I mean, it's only been three weeks, but I think they're, they've got the right approach and, yeah, we're just really excited to be a part of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I actually think because of this kind of, I would say, coincidence, I'm going to try to get some more of the launch companies on because there's some seriously cool companies in in is uh, in this portfolio that, and also that are in the accelerator right now that need to be shown to the world. Uh, so appreciate the inspiration. Yeah. My last question for you is is as follows. You just mentioned you've, you've already raised a good chunk of a good chunk of cash you see a problem in the world and you're applying an innovative solution to it you're like doing the company thing you're building a company and, and you're kind of like scaling a company and there are a lot of people who are listening that have an idea to, to use a technology or have a problem they want to solve but they don't necessarily know the best way to get started or how to break in to startups and start one for themselves what advice would you have for someone listening who wants to get started but doesn't necessarily know how to yeah, so this is my fourth startup, um, so definitely not my first time at the rodeo. Um, each one has done better than my last. My very first startup went nowhere. My next startup uh, raised some money but didn't have an exit. My last startup raised money and had an exit. And now this company, I want to have the biggest possible outcome ever. Um, so that is partially, it is just getting out there, practicing, and doing it, you know, the 10,000 hour rule. But if you're truly just out there starting for the first time and you're like, hey, I want this to be as successful as possible, you know, I don't want to just learn by failing, um, then <clears throat> I think there's a couple things. One is if you're not technical yourself, you've got to have a great technical co-founder or two because 
you're building technology. I mean, you can't build technology if you don't have great technology partners. And outsourcing technology in the early days, especially if you're new to the startup world, to an outside development shop, is just, it's not gonna work. I did that for my very first startup and I failed miserably. Um, you, you burn through cash like no tomorrow, and those people don't care about anything other than invoicing you every couple of weeks. So you've got to get good, techno uh, good technology co-founders. And the only way to do that is to get out there and meet them and sell them on your vision. Because they get pitched a million ideas a week. And for you to stand out, you need to you know, have a clear vision of what you want to do. So that's first, first and foremost. Secondly, save up enough money to go without a paycheck. I'm literally on month 37 right now without a paycheck. Now that's extreme. I had some money left over from my last you know, company having an exit, but, um, but you should plan on a year or two of no salary because you have to, and, and savings to put into the business like initial 25 to 50K because you're gonna need initial costs to get going and you're going to probably need to go without a paycheck for a while, especially if you have any pivots or business model changes. Just plan on that. And then lastly is just freaking do it, right? Just, just, just start building. Get something in front of customers, learn as fast as possible if you've got product market fit. I just can't stress that enough because so many people spend like six to 12 months building something, they put it in front of customers and nobody gives a shit. So, um, so those are the three. Get good technical co-founders, be in a financially good spot, both personally as well as for the company. And then lastly, just, just build and get it in front of customers. Boom. You all heard it here first. That's fantastic advice. If the listeners want to get in touch with you or they just want to learn about your company, where can they find you online and learn about what you're working on? Sure. So multiple places. So on Twitter, my handle is entrepreneur S F uh, S is in Sam F is in Frank uh, short for San Francisco. Uh, Cause we're based here. Um, so entrepreneur S F on Twitter, uh, find me on LinkedIn, Mark Thomas, Zen sports, uh, or shoot me an email, mark at sensports.com. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. I am really intrigued to see what's going to happen with this. And I think it could be giant because you found a, a actual use case for cryptocurrency. And I feel like the world's been waiting for that. So best of luck to you. And I'll be, I'll be following along on your journey. Thank you, man.